we're in the third week of our series called Christmas Playlist. And if, you, if you've been here, you know that we have been talking about the significance of different Christmas carols and the story they tell and how they were written and the, the, what the lyrics relate to according to the gospel message. And, and so we're going to continue that. We've looked at Silent Night. We looked at Joy to the World. And today I want to look at a carol that is certainly one among the favorites of many. I, I find it actually one of the most beautiful, the, the melody of it is just gorgeous. I love this song. It's the song, O Little Town of Bethlehem. And I want us to focus this morning a little different. Than not, I'm not going, to, not going to focus as much on the lyrics as, as the story behind the song, both the words and the music, how this beloved carol came to be. And because there's even in that, there's a message for us. I, you know, I love to hear uh, songwriters talk about a song's background. I, I love to watch, you know, sometimes you see it on, on YouTube, you'll see videos of, of, of the artists who recorded them tell the story about the recording process. And, and one of the things you'll hear a lot of times on a song that's really iconic, you know, that's very famous as a huge hit, you'll hear them some, sometimes say something along the lines of, from the very start, we just knew this was a big hit. We knew this was going to be a number one. We knew this was going to be huge, that sort of thing. And, and you know, that, that happens in other areas of life as well, books and and business and political campaigns and church plants. People will say things like, from the very beginning, we knew that the work we were doing was earth-shaking, it was groundbreaking, and that, that it would change lives all around the world. And so sometimes you, you know right away that the work you're doing matters. You know that right away that you, the work you're doing is eternal. But there are other times that you may think that what you're doing isn't eternal at all, that it doesn't really matter, that it's insignificant. In, in fact, there may be times when it feels like your efforts don't count for much and they don't just don't really matter. However, nothing could be further from the truth, as we'll see in the story behind this song. So would you just bow your head and just ask for the Lord's help today as we get into this? Lord, we just pray that you would make what I say come alive to somebody. Let this be a word of encouragement because God, we know that there are there's no such thing as an insignificant person in the kingdom. And there's no such thing as an insignificant work that God, if we will just do what you call us to do, that you will use us to make a difference. And Lord, we believe that. And I pray you would encourage us today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, here's the story behind what happened, how old little town of Bethlehem came about. During the 1860s, a recently ordained Episcopalian priest named Phillips Brooks, Phillips Brooks, excuse me. No, it was his Brooks last name. And he, he visited the Holy Land. And on Christmas Eve, while he was over there, he traveled by horseback from Jerusalem to this little town of Bethlehem, a journey of about six miles. He said before it got dark that day, they, they rode out of town to the field uh, where they said that that the, it's the field where the shepherds saw the angels singing and where the, the announcement came that the, that Christ had come. And, and, and he said that as he passed there, there were still shepherds out in, in other fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks, just as the shepherds had done centuries before. A little bit later that day, he participated in a Christmas Eve service in Constantine's Basilica, which is a uh, a facility, a church that was built over their trad traditional site of the nativity. And the time spent in Bethlehem was the most memorable part of his journey for him. Well, a few years later, he captured that memory in, in verse when he wrote 
these lyrics that you've, you've heard so many times. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the, starlets, the silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark street shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. And he, he wrote the verses of that familiar carol specifically for the children of his church in Philadelphia. We don't we, we think it was written just for Christmas as for the adults, but it was actually written for the children to sing. And he, he wanted them to sing it at the upcoming Christmas service in his church. And so he asked the church organist, a man named Louis Redner, to put the, the, those words to music. Now, Redner was not a professional songwriter. He was not even a professional musician. He played organ for the church, but he was actually a real estate broker. And playing the organ was really not much more than a hobby for him. Well, Brooks' request came at a very difficult time for Redner. It was a very busy week. Uh, how, how many of you know, leading up to Christmas, it's always busy for everybody. And, and it was a busy week, and he just kept putting it off, putting it off. Anybody here have that uh, pat pattern where you like to just put things off and a little bit of a procrastinator? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm me too, and I'm going to stop procrastinating first thing tomorrow. That's what I'm going to do. Anyway, he later said that it, it, his top priority that week was to get his Sunday school lesson ready. That's what he had on his mind. That was his focus. But Reverend Brooks just kept asking him over and over again if the song was ready. And, and Redner finally uh, replied to him. He just simply said, I promise I'll have it by Sunday. Well, late that Saturday night, he scratched out what he considered a very simple tune, tune written, he said, in great haste and under great pressure. But at least he could say the job was done. And both Brooks and Redner were, were sure that this would be the only time that the song would ever be heard. How wrong they were. Today, O Little Town of Bethlehem is among the most popular carers. It's hard to remember. Uh, it's hard to imagine celebrating Christmas without including this song somewhere in the mix. And, and my, one of my favorite is Nat King Cole singing O Little Town of Bethlehem, that, the, the smooth sounds of his voice. And behind this story, though, the simple story, there's some important lessons for us to remember, and they're biblical lessons, lessons about how uh, you and the work that you, can, that you do can be used by God. In fact, there are three ideas that I want to bring your attention, and here's the first one. In God's economy, there's no such thing as obscure. There's no such thing as obscure. You know, if, if any two musicians could be labeled obscure, it would be these two, Brooks and Redner. Sounds like a country duo to me. But uh, for them, music was just a sideline. Uh, and this song that they wrote was their only memorable song. It was like, anybody remember a few years ago, the Hey Macarena song? Anybody remember that? Yeah. Anybody know who that was? <laughs> anybody ever heard another song from them? Yeah, they, Brooks and Redner were the were the the Hey Macarena people of their day. That's what it was. But as musicians, they they could they easily could have remained obscure in their day and obscure throughout history. And in, in fact, Philip Brooks considered himself an obscure and an insignificant pastor. He he took the verse from Romans twelve three that says, "Do not think more highly of yourself than you ought." He took it very quite literally and. And early in his career, after being fired from a job teaching school, he wrote this. He said, I do not know what will become of me, and I do not care much. I believe I might become a stunning man, but somehow or another, I do not seem to come to much now. He also wrote, 
at one time that his ambition was to be a parish priest in the Episcopal Church, but he didn't think he would be much of one. Clearly, he was not a good candidate for the self-help circuit. You know, he's not the guy you're looking to put on the circuit as a motivational speaker or saying, yeah, well, you know, I'd like to do this, but I probably wouldn't be good at it. And that's the kind of thing. And yet that's the very attitude, not thinking too highly of himself, that that's the very attitude that God's able to use. And so God did use him greatly. And he used him in leading the church of the Holy Trinity in Philadelphia and later Trinity Church in Boston and he led them through tremendous seasons of growth. And he, he considered himself just an obscure and insignificant preacher, but he proved to be far from it. And in the same way, if any town in the world could be considered obscure, certainly Bethlehem could fill the bill. This, this little bedroom community of about a thousand residents just a few miles outside of Jerusalem was small and simple and nondescript. There was nothing special about it. Bethlehem was not affluent at the, at the least. It was, its only claim to fame was that King David had been born there hundreds of years before. But, but God had something even greater in mind for this little town. The prophet Micah wrote about it in Micah 5.2. He said, but you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for, for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. And then verses four and five, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and in the majesty of the name of the Lord, his God, and they shall dwell secure for now. He shall be great to the ends of the earth and he shall be their peace. Towns like Bethlehem may seem destined for obscurity, but here's what we know. The truth is when God has a plan for you, there's no such thing as obscure. You know, the same thing could be said about Joseph, this carpenter from Nazareth. The same thing could be said about Mary, this young woman he planned to marry. They were poor. They were probably uneducated. Um, and, and frankly, if in their high school, they might have been voted the least likely to be included in the pages of history. But God had a plan for them. And we still remember them today. You know, when I think about insignificant things, um, my mind always, when I think about insignificant, insignificant things, always goes to the little boy who offered his lunch to Jesus to help feed thousands of people. His story is found in, in John chapter 6. This is what it says. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to eat to feed all these people? He was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we, could, we wouldn't have enough money to, to feed them. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? Tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish, and they all ate as much as they wanted. You know, here's what I know about us as human beings. When we look around and we see the great need in the world around us, how many, I mean, don't you see that? Don't you look around and you see, man, this world is really in bad shape. 
you look around and you, and you see that there are people who are hurting and there's so many people that it's overwhelming and you see people who are in need and there's so many people in need that it's overwhelming. You, you see all of this going on and, and it's easy to get overwhelmed, uh, overwhelmed by that. And, and, and when we look at all the need and how great it is, how big it is, how massive it is, it's really easy to, to, to think that we cannot make a difference because what we have to offer is insignificant when we compare it to the need. But I want you to understand there's our problem right there. That's our problem. If we compare what we have to offer to the need around us, we will always, always, always come up short. That's what we have to remember. That if I compare what I have, what I have to offer, what I can do to what the need is, then I'm going to, well, first of all, if I think that I'm going to not come up short, then I've got a pride issue and I need to deal with that. But the truth is, when I compare that, I'm always going to come up short. I'm never going to be enough. I'm never going to have enough. I'm not never going to be able to make a significant difference in the need. But what we have to do is we have to learn to not compare what we what we have to offer to the need, but we have to learn to compare the need to the God we serve. We, we got to learn to look at the need and say, okay, let me compare that to the greatness of my God. And when I compare the need to the God that I serve, then I begin to realize that compared to him, that that need is so puny, that the, the things going on in the world are so easy. They're so, that's not a big deal for God because we, the needs around us, they are devastatingly massive. But we have to remember that our God has unlimited power. Our God has unlimited wi- wisdom. Our God. God has unlimited compassion. Our God has unlimited grace. Our God has unlimited resources. Our God has unlimited love. And so when I look at that, I realize that my God has no limits whatsoever and there's no one like him that when I compare him to the need, I begin to realize, oh, that need is nothing compared to him. See, if I compare the need to what I have, oh, I'm in trouble. But when I look around me and I see that what, what the world, the shape that the world's in, how bad things are, then look at my God, I realize, okay, there's the answer. There's the answer. When we compare the needs around us with our God, then we realize that he can do what we can't. He can take our puny little offering and do something miraculous with it. He can take our five loaves and two fishes and he can feed the masses. He can take our little insignificant lives and he can change families. He can change cities. He can even change nations. We can't. We can't do it, but he can. And there is no one who is insignificant in that. And there's nothing that you can offer to him that is meaningless. I mean, Think about this little boy. It's really even what Andrew said. He said, well, we have this, this little boy's lunch, this, these, these uh, loaves and fish, but what good is that? What, that's insignificant. That's meaningless. But Jesus said, give it to me. Watch what I can do with it. There's a, there's a song came out. I think it was in the late seventies. Um, and so that makes it like 50 years old, you know, uh, coming up on that, which, you know, you start, if you're anybody my age, you realize we think 30 years ago, we think 70s, but 30 years ago was 90s. It's really 50 years ago was 70s, but that's neither here nor there. But the song was called Ordinary People. I don't know if anybody remembers that old, old song. 
but there's a line in it that is so powerful and it speaks to this situation and this story. The line says, little becomes much when we place it in the master's hand. See, when God has a plan, as he certainly does for you, as he certainly does for this church, as he certainly does for every person that's, that's, that's watching this or hearing these words, and, and when he has a plan, there's no such thing as obscure and there's no such thing as insignificant. It doesn't matter what the world thinks. It doesn't matter how, what, how, how other people view what I'm doing. It is not insignificant if I'm offering it to Jesus. He has a plan. When that little boy gave his lunch to Jesus, because there were thousands of people who needed to be fed, he was insignificant in the world's eyes. And so is his offering. And his lunch of five loaves and two fishes was thoroughly insufficient to meet the overwhelming need. He could not provide enough food for thousands of people. There's no way that little boy could do that. He couldn't even make a real dent in the need. But you know what he did? He gave what he could give. He gave what he could give. All he could do was offer whatever he had to Jesus. And you know what the good news of that story is? When he did that, that was enough. Just to give what he could give. And that was enough. When you give what you have to give, whether it's of your time, of your finances, uh, service to other people, or, or really just your life, when you give what you have to give, then Jesus will perform miracles and he'll make what was insignificant into something miraculous. We see it all the time. We see it in lives of people like, like Sam. I use him as an illustration a lot, but, but he's a, everybody knows, everybody sees what God is doing in his life. Another lesson to observe, and all of these are very closely related, and that is that in God's, God's economy, there's no such thing as forgettable. Here's what I mean. Phillips, Phillips Brooks uh, wrote this song as, as what you might call a disposable song. It was written with the expectation that it would be sung just this once at the, this Christmas service and then it would be performed by the children and then the sheet music would be filed away in a cabinet and, never, and, and forever, forever forgotten and nobody would ever remember it again. That's what Brooks and Redner thought when they threw this song together at the last minute. They thought it was just an insignificant little song that would soon be forgotten, except when God has a plan, there's no such thing as forgettable. He, he can use the smallest, the most offhanded, the most seemingly disposable parts of our efforts and our ideas to make a difference in people's lives. How many of you heard the story uh, of, and you probably won't recognize the name, but maybe you'll remember the story, but this, it's a story of a text sent out by a woman named Wanda Dench from Mesa, Arizona. Anybody remember that story? It happened a few years ago, actually back in 2015, um, Wanda Dench sent a text message that was intended for her grandson. But she got the number wrong somehow, and it was received by a young man named Jamal Hinton. And in the text, it was an invitation to Thanksgiving dinner. Well, he replied by asking her who she was, because he had no idea who this number was, or who it belonged to. And, and so she sent a picture of herself and said, I'm your grandmother. Kind of reminds me of a story and my, I'm going to tell my mom a little bit. A few years ago, she, she sent a text to one of her granddaughters, one of uh, my niece, and her name is Bethany. And she sent this text to Bethany, but what she didn't know was that Bethany had a new number. 
and she'd had a new number for a while. So her old number was back in circulation and she sent this text to this person and, and I don't even know what the text was about. And the reply came, who is this? And my, my, my mom started saying, I'm your grandmother. And, and he said, uh, you're not my grandmother. My grandmother's dead. And she replied, she starts arguing with this person. She says, I'm Bethany. I'm not dead. I'm your grandmother. And she goes on and on until she finally realized that she had the wrong number. The same kind of thing that happened here. She had the wrong number. She sent it to this wrong person. And, and uh, Jamal finally convinced her that, that she wasn't his grandma. But then he made a joke and she said, well, can I still ha- get a plate though? And she texted back, of course she can. That's what grandmas do. We feed everyone. Every grandma in here, can you say amen to that, right? Well, that happened back, as I said, back in 2015. And Jamal and his growing family has had Thanksgiving dinner with the Denches every year since. And and from what I understand, their story is being made into a movie. But stories like that remind us that there's no such thing as an insignificant act And there's no such thing as insignificant effort. God can use the smallest word, the smallest gesture to make a lasting change in the lives of other people. If you will just open your heart, if you'll open your life to people. You know, I I know people whose lives have been transformed by the gospel of Christ. And you know where it all started? It all began with a seemingly insignificant invitation where somebody just said, hey, you should visit our church sometime. And they came and the presence of the Holy Spirit invaded their life and changed their life. You know, this melody, Oh Little Town of Bethlehem, was supposed to fade into oblivion in the days following Christmas of 1868. And yet this year it will be heard millions of times throughout the Christmas season. You know, in the same way, one barely noticeable word of encouragement telling you there is a drought of encouragement in our world today. Everybody wants to try to one up as far as putting people down. And we have this put down culture. And and I understand it's all in good fun. A lot of times just joking back and forth with friends. But you know what? There's a lot of people that are threatened by the idea of encouraging somebody else. Because somehow if I build somebody else up, it makes less of me. And that's just foolishness. But one barely noticeable word of encouragement, one one hardly observable act of kindness can reap benefits that go beyond your ability to understand. There's no such thing as insignificant service. No such thing as forgettable effort in the kingdom of God. But you know what? It goes even beyond that. There are no unforgettable people. Excuse me. There are no forgettable people in the kingdom of God. Makes me think of the woman who anointed Jesus with perfume before his death. Stories told in Mark Chapter 14, listen to this. Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. While he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard. She broke open the jar and poured the perfume over his head. Some of those at the table were indignant. Why waste such expensive perfume, they asked. Uh, now, other Gospels ex- uh, uh, record the story, and we, we know it was actually Judas who was complaining that, about this because uh, it, it went on to explain that he kept the treasury and he was lining his pockets with it. So he really didn't care about the poor. It was just money that he was going to be able to get for himself. Uh, verse 5, it says, It could have been sold for a year's wages 
and the money given to the poor. So they scolded her harshly. But Jesus replied, leave her alone. Why criticize her for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you and you, and you can help them whenever you want, but you will not always have me. And I want you to listen to this phrase. This is, I feel this is an overlooked, but a significant, significant phrase in this verse. She has done what she could and has anointed my body for burial ahead of time. I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. Here we are, 2023, still remembering a simple act from a woman who just wanted to, to express how much she loved Jesus. You know what? You may find yourself saying to yourself at times or saying to other people, you may find yourself saying, who am I? I'm nobody special. What can I do? How can I make a difference? I'm just a fill in the blank. You know, I'm just a volunteer. I'm just a helper. I'm just a homemaker. I'm just a janitor. I'm just a whatever. I'm just an ordinary person. What can I do? I'll tell you exactly what you can do. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you do. I'm here to tell you exactly what you can do. You can do what the woman who anointed Jesus did. Jesus said that the woman who anointed him with perfume did what she could do. That's such a powerful phrase. She didn't try to do what she, what was impossible for her. She didn't try to do anything else. She didn't try to preach to the masses. She didn't try to uh, take over in leadership. She didn't try to start a worldwide ministry. She didn't try to measure up to anyone else's standard. She did what she could do to serve Jesus. So don't try to measure your life or your ministry or impact on people by comparing it to what other people do are, are, are doing. Don't try to live up to the expectations or the perceived expectations of the crowd. I mean, after all, the crowd in the room that day had very, very different ideas about the proper use of this woman's perfume. Don't worry about how insignificant and small you feel. Don't worry about what you can't do. Just do whatever you can. This is so important for us. We get caught up and we get paralyzed so many times because we say, I can't, I can't, I can't. But there is something that you can do. So stop worrying about what you can't do. Don't get caught up in what you can't do. Just do what you can. And I'm, here's the great news. It's just very similar to the little boy with the loaves and fishes. I'm here to tell you that whatever you can do, is enough to make a difference in someone somewhere somehow some way when you put it in the hands of jesus it whatever you can do is enough to make a difference because as we said little becomes much when we place it in the master's hand now you may not be remembered and adored by generations to come you, you may not become a household name that echoes through, throughout the annals of time. In fact, I'm here to tell you, you probably won't. However, you can make a difference for someone, somewhere, somehow. You can make a difference that will last for generations to come in some family. You can make a difference for the kingdom of God that will absolutely last forever if you'll just do what you can and trust Jesus to do what you can't. 
Here's the third lesson I want you to consider. There's no such thing as unimportant. I mentioned earlier that Brooks and Redner were not professional musicians. They weren't commissioned to write a professional masterpiece. Uh, they just put this little song together because they both love music and they love serving God's people. Brooks wrote the lyrics from personal experience, having visited the Holy Land, having been to Bethlehem on the Christmas Eve some years before. And that was all the qualification he needed to be able to write a song that connects listeners so intimately with the birth of Christ. In the, in the church, so often what happens is we, we, have, we have this attitude that says, let's just leave it to the pros. It's the staff's job to do the work of the ministry. It's our job to watch. And, and, and honestly, over the years, many times insecure pastors have fostered that because they, 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 they wanted the... Listen, here's the thing. Let me put it like this. There, there's this thing that in ministry that if you let it, it can become an ego thing. Because what happens is, you know, somebody goes in the hospital... And, uh, you know, you show up and, and it's like, oh, oh, finally the pastor's here. You know, I, I want to come in, you know, with a cap, you know, with a cape and saying, never fear, I'm here now. It's all going to be fine. And there's, it's easy. It's a temptation to do that. And, and, and it feels good to touch people's lives. It, it, it really is a powerful thing. And, and so sometimes ministers being insecure, they want that. They feed themselves and they don't want to share that. And so they've played a part of that. But then there's also the other side where sometimes it's just easy in the church to say, oh, somebody's in the hospital? Well, pastor should go see him. That's what we pay him for. Well, here, here's what I want to tell you. I go see people in the hospital, not really because I'm a pastor. I go because I'm a Christian. God has called us all to, to love one another. Yes, I have a different perspective. Maybe I bring something different to the table because I'm, I'm a pastor. But the truth is, I, whether I'm a pastor or not, I'm still called to, to care for those around me. I'm still called to go to them when they, when they have a need. And, 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 and so, uh, you know, the, the truth is God sees no difference between the clergy and the lady. We're all part of a holy priesthood. That's what it says in First in Peter. It says, but you are a chosen people. Now, notice that he's not just talking to elders of the church or pastors of the church. He's talking to the entire church. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Here's the truth. We are all qualified for service. God can use anyone in any context He chooses. And I'm here to tell you He will. And often use people in context that you would, not exceed, you would not see coming. But what that means for us is it means that no one is unimportant. And it doesn't matter where they've been. doesn't matter what they've done. doesn't matter what's happened in their life. It doesn't matter how insignificant they seem. No one is unimportant. I mean, think about it. Moses 
was a murderer hiding out in the backside of the desert who had become just this no-name shepherd watching his father-in-law's sheep. But God raised him, him up to deliver the nation of Israel from slavery. Gideon was a coward hiding in a wine press. And he was the, he was the lowest member of the lowest family of the smallest tribe of Israel. But God used him to deliver Israel from oppression. What about Samson? Samson was a womanizer. That's what he was. But God used him to bring about a resounding victory over the Philistines. King David was a shepherd boy, not a trained soldier, but God used him to conquer Goliath. He, he, was, he was not born into power and privilege, but God made him a king and used him to lead a great nation. Then you have in the New Testament, you have Peter, who was a mere fisherman, a common laborer, a hothead, somebody who, who was impulsive and just did whatever came to his mind and said whatever came to his mind. But God used him to win thousands of people to Christ and to actually write scripture and to be a key leader in their early church. And you go back to the Christmas story. Joseph was just a working class carpenter and Mary was just a teenage girl planning to get married soon. And neither one of them had the qualifications you might expect that, that would be necessary to raise the most important child ever born into the human race. And yet God chose them specifically and used them both for his eternal purpose. You may think you're unimportant without the skills and the qualifications of the important people. But with God, there's no such thing as unimportant people. There's no such thing as throwaway people. He can use you in a great way. It's been reported that Billy Noonan once said, and actually the quote has been attributed to a number of people, including Mickey Mantle, but the earliest uh, written attribution is to a man named Billy Noonan. He once said this, If I had known I was going to live so long, I'd have taken better care of myself. Anybody you understand that? I'm, I'm barely into my 60s now, and I can totally relate to that sentiment. But I hear that, and it, it makes me think that some might be inclined to say, after a lifetime of, of walking with the Lord, some might be inclined to say, if I had known my efforts could make such a difference, I would have tried harder. I would have paid more attention to the details. I, I would have been, I wouldn't have been so quick to make excuses. I wouldn't have, have been so quick to dismiss the possibilities of, of God using me and using my life to touch somebody else. If I'd known that God was ready to use my most forgettable efforts and my most disposable ideas that he, that he would use me even beyond my qualifications, I would have done more. I would have done better. I would have tried harder. There's an old saying, and I, I first heard it by, from John Maxwell. I don't know who said it first, because it's been said so many times. But the saying goes like this. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. He doesn't call you because you're good enough, strong enough, powerful enough, anointed enough. He doesn't call you because you're qualified. He calls you. And then he says, now, let me empower you. Let me qualify you. Let me make you ready. God does not call, call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And I want you to hear me very clear this, clearly this morning. God has a call on your life. 
It's not just those that are called to full-time vocational ministry that have a call in their life. No, I have a calling to pastoring. That's my calling. You have a calling that's different. You have a calling that God's placed on your life. And he's called every single one of us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. That wasn't just for missionaries. That wasn't just for pastors. That wasn't just for evangelists. That's for every single one of us. He says, you go. You make a difference. You give what you can give. You do what you can do. And see what God does to make up the loss. Because we know what we, what we have is not enough. But if we'll give it to Him, He can do what we can never dream of. And you may be sitting here thinking that you're hardly qualified to do anything for God, but I'm here, I want you to know He has plans for your life. And I'm asking you not to just let that go by, but I'm asking you to grab hold of that. And I'm asking you to believe that. That God has a plan to use you. There are people He wants to touch through you. There are co-workers He wants to change through you. There are neighbors He wants to change through you. If you'll just take the call seriously and say, hey, this is not about me being good enough. This is about me being willing. Me putting myself, giving what I have to give, doing what I can do, and then trusting Jesus to do the rest. God has a plan for His people and God has a plan for you. So do what you can do and trust Jesus to do what you can't. Give what you have to give and trust Jesus to make up the difference. And offer what seems to be the most insignificant service and trust Jesus to fulfill His plans through your life. Would you bow your head together with me, Father? So we come into your presence right now. Lord, it is so easy for us to fall into a place of thinking, well, I'm really a nobody. I'm, I'm, I'm just don't have any great gifts or talents. It's easy for us even as a church to say, well, we're just a small church. We can't really make a big difference. God, in, and Lord, I just, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke that spirit. That is nothing but a lie from the enemy. Because God, we know that you have plans for each of us. You have plans for this church. And we will not limit what you can do by our own lack of faith. But right now, in this moment, Lord God, we want to respond to your word. We want to simply respond by saying, Lord, I, I want to do what I can do and stop worrying about what I can't. And Lord, I want to give what I can give and stop worrying about what I don't have to give. And Lord, I want to offer my service, even if it seems small and insignificant, because Lord, I know you can take what is small and you can do miracles with it. So Lord, we just put ourselves in your hand, even though we're little, because we know that little becomes much when we place it in the Master's hands. And with heads bowed and eyes closed and there's nobody looking around, I wonder if there's anybody here that would be willing to join me and simply say, Pastor, most of the time I don't feel like much. 
Most of the time I feel little, I feel small, I feel insignificant. I don't feel like I can really make a difference, but, but I want to do what I can do. I want to give what I can give. And I want to offer my service to Jesus, even if it seems like it's just five loaves and two fishes. And I want to trust him to do what I can't do. And you want to let yourself be used by God. If that's you this morning, would you slip your hand up right where you are? Boy, their hands are all over the place. Listen, Jesus took 12 insignificant men and he turned the world upside down with them. So I'm here to tell you that if we will do this, if we'll take this seriously, if we'll hear his call and we'll, and we'll respond by doing what we can, by giving what we can, by offering our service, whatever we can, even if it's small, even if it's insignificant, even if there's no way it'll ever meet the need, if we'll do that, he will do miracles through us because that is what he does. So I want to pray for just about everybody raise their hand. I want to pray for us today. Lord, we hear your call. We hear your voice. And you're simply saying to us, I'm not calling great men. I'm calling humble men and women. I'm calling people who are willing to give me what they have, in, even if they think it's not enough. And God, right now in this place, we offer ourselves to you. We want to do what we can do, Lord God, whether, whether that may be taking a sandwich to a hungry person, whether it's baking a, 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 a cake for a neighbor, whether it's taking a meal to somebody that's hungry or hurting, whether it's reaching out in love and encouragement to somebody around us, whatever it is, God, whatever it is, and how, no matter how small it may seem, we want to do it, God, not to bring glory to ourselves, but we want to do it as an offering to you. And so, God, we put it all in your hands. We put ourselves in your hands and we admit that we are weak. We admit that we are small. But, God, we know you have this history of taking the weak things, the base things of this world, the, the, the insignificant, thing, insignificant things of this world, and you have a habit of doing great things. And, Lord... We know when you do that, that your name is glorified, not ours. And that's what we want. So God, I pray that right now in the name of Jesus, as we offer ourselves to you, that you would begin to open doors, help us to see the little things that we can do. And God, we will be faithful in doing the little things. Because Lord, if we're faithful in doing the little things, then you can lead us on to greater things. But Lord, help us not to discount any person, any situation, any offering, any act. But God, help us to learn to offer every little detail to you. And we put ourselves in your hands. And we ask God that you would do great things through your people, through your church. And we pray all of this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.